episode 95, Ridiculous Reasons to Believe. This is Matthew, and in this short episode I will be picking apart a video from Reasons to Believe that William Lane Craig posted on his Twitter timeline in March 2023. The sequence is titled, Did Jesus Rise from the Dead? Part 1. The Facts. See link 1 for the full 6.5 minute video and the additional follow-on videos, which I have not addressed. I have a very simple objection to any claim about Jesus rising from the dead, and that is, all claims start from the assumption that the Gospel accounts are truthfully reporting events that actually happened. We don't know this, and we can't know this. Which is why starting from this position, and then using this unsupportable starting point to argue for the literal resurrection of Jesus, is unreasonable. I am going to play through the video audio and pause at key points to explain why arguments that are made in the video are unsupportable. This is why I find William Lane Craig and his entire Reasons to Believe organisation to be fundamentally dishonest. Why was Jesus of Nazareth crucified? Because he made outrageous claims about himself. He claimed to be the one and only Son of God. Why would anyone take his claim seriously? Well, that all depends. If Jesus actually rose from the dead, then his claim to be God's unique son carries considerable weight. I will grant this. If Jesus did actually rise from the dead, then his claim to be God should be taken seriously. The question is, did he actually rise from the dead? Can the resurrection account really be taken seriously? Or is it yet another set of ancient writings that have been embellished and exaggerated? Given that we know the latter does and has happened, we should consider that explanation to be the more likely one. On the other hand, if the resurrection never actually happened, then Jesus may be safely dismissed as just another interesting but tragic historical figure. Exactly. Did Jesus rise from the dead? As we explore this question, we need to address two further questions. What are the facts that require explanation? And which explanation best accounts for these facts? And how do we know that they're facts? Let's not forget that one. There are three main facts that need to be explained. The discovery of Jesus' empty tomb. And right off the bat, we're into my earlier objection. Just because the Gospel accounts say that the tomb was found to be empty, does not make it so. Now granted, even if it were genuinely found empty, all we would have would be document accounts stating that. But, I suggest that we would also have documentary accounts indicating that the Romans were concerned about the significant events that followed. But we don't have that. All we have are the accounts, which were written decades later by people with a motive to paint Jesus as someone other than a failed apocalyptic preacher. A resurrection claim will do that. Even the integrity-challenged Gary Habermas is cautious with this one. The appearances of Jesus alive after his death. And again, all we have is ancient documents written by motivated people stating these claims. We do not have any process by which these claims can be validated. The only reason to believe these accounts are true is if you have a belief system which relies on these accounts being true. That's not very sound. People who will invent a resurrection account will of course invent post-resurrection appearances to back up the original claim. 
Links 2 and 3 give examples of other ancient figures who were resurrected. There is nothing unique about resurrection claims being attached to important figures. What's so clever about Christianity is the packaging in which the claims are wrapped. But don't be fooled by the cover. The insides are still fiction. And the disciples' belief that Jesus rose from the dead. How do we know the disciples believed Jesus was resurrected? We don't. All we have is the same documents that bogusly make the other two claims. Let's see what reasons to believe have to say to justify their beliefs. Let's examine each of these. Fact number one. The discovery that Jesus' tomb was empty is reported in no less than six independent sources. And some of these are among the earliest materials to be found in the New Testament. This is important because when an event is recorded by two or more unconnected sources, historians' confidence that the event actually happened increases. This is true-ish. Two unconnected accounts telling the same story do make the story more believable. However, it doesn't automatically move the account from dubious to true. It only shifts the scale slightly. But do we actually have that for the resurrection of Jesus? No, we don't. We have the Gospel accounts, which all come from unnamed sources decades later who are part of the same circle. There is no resurrection of Jesus' account which is truly independent of the others. So making the statement about unconnected accounts is pointless. Unless you want to subconsciously manipulate your audience into believing things that are not true. But a good, honest Christian organisation like RTB wouldn't do that, would they? And the earlier these sources are dated, the higher their confidence. Well, not really. Fictional versions of events also happen immediately. There is no magical law of narrative that says first accounts must be the truest. What is being done here is to misapply the role of textual criticism. See Link 4. Textual criticism is about how you get to the original content of an ancient document, and the earlier the copy, the more you can trust that that copy is an accurate representation of the original. This says nothing about the content being accurate. This is purely about analysing what is said. Apologists know this, or at least they should, which means that using this line of reasoning shows that RTB either don't understand historical assessment, or they are banking on their audience not knowing this. Either way, they are being misleading. Moreover, the Gospels indicate that it was women who first discovered that Jesus' body was missing. Women are very capable humans too. So what? This is likely historical because in that culture, a woman's testimony was considered next to worthless. And a misogynistic culture would not write a man doing a role typically assigned to women. A later legend or fabrication would have had men make this discovery. Or maybe a later fabrication would exclude the women. Or include a male authority, like an angel. Or two angels. Or the risen Jesus himself, so that the women's presence is, you know, less embarrassing. I wonder how the women were going to move the stone. It seems the later fabricators neglected to account for a very important detail. Our confidence in the empty tomb is further increased by the response of the Jewish authorities. When they heard the report that the tomb was found empty, they said that Jesus' followers had stolen his body. 
thereby admitting that Jesus' tomb was, in fact, empty. Don't you just love it when good fiction makes sure it ties up as many of the loose ends as possible? Most scholars, by far, hold firmly to the reliability of the biblical statements about the empty tomb. Would this be scholars who are biblical scholars who, um, let me see now, let me see now. Ah yes, most scholars would be biblical scholars who already believe that these stories are true. Ah right, gotcha, makes sense. Fact number two. The appearances of Jesus alive after his death. In one of the earliest letters in the New Testament, Paul provides a list of witnesses to Jesus' resurrection appearances. Presumably this would be part of that same group of people who feature as the group of people who told the stories that originated in the narrative of the Gospels, maybe? He appeared to Peter, Check. then to the Twelve. Check. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Ah yes, the infamous 500. Let's start with a nice big round number and then not mention anyone by name or include the additional testimonies of any of them. Tell me again why anyone should ever take this detail seriously. Then he appeared to James. Check. Then to all the apostles. Check. Finally, he appeared also to me. The Damascus Road. The event that reads like Paul, making sure he has the biggest and the best post-resurrection experience of them all. How could anyone consider rejecting Paul as the new leader of the church when his experience trumps everyone else's? Better still, he made sure there was no one with him who had authority to contradict him. It's all on his word, apparently. And we're supposed to believe Paul actually had this event? Did you know that Paul apparently describes his Damascus Road experience three times in Acts, and they all conflict with each other? Maybe this is evidence of after-the-fact fabrications, and the event itself is pure fiction. To further confuse things, the author of Acts is supposed to be Luke, who was not there with Paul on the Damascus Road. <sighs> this all feels more like evolved fiction than truthful narrative. Furthermore, various resurrection appearances of Jesus are independently confirmed by the Gospel accounts. Independently confirmed by authors who collaborated. Right. On the basis of Paul's testimony alone, virtually all historical scholars agree that various individuals and groups experienced appearances of Jesus alive after his death. This is the kind of claim that really needs documentary references. Maybe there is one somewhere, but there wasn't a link associated with the video when I didn't spend a very long time looking for it on the RTB website. If true, more open display of the source would be very helpful. Its lack is a little bit suspicious. It would not surprise me at all if historians that are Christians probably affirm this. However, I strongly suspect that atheist historians would be more cautious and instead affirm that the text says that people had these experiences. I tried to find what secular historians say on this specific subject, but internet search results on the matter get so swamped with apologetics resources that it was impossible for me to find anything useful so I have no data to corroborate or contradict this specific claim. It may be taken as historically certain 
that Peter and the disciples had experiences after Jesus' death in which Jesus appeared to them as the risen Christ. No, this is categorical misrepresentation of historical certainty and is downright dishonest. Fact number three, the disciples' belief in the resurrection. After Jesus' crucifixion, his followers were devastated, demoralized and hiding in fear for their lives. Maybe they were. Or maybe this is part of the fictionalized narrative. We can't know for certain. As Jews, they had no concept of a Messiah who would be executed by his enemies, much less come back to life. Maybe so, which lends weight to the whole idea that everything we read in the Gospels is later evolved fictional narrative. The only resurrection Jews believed in was a universal event on Judgment Day after the end of the world, not an individual event within history. This may be true. And all it does is emphasise that the Gospel accounts, having been written decades later, are not likely to have been written by Jews and are more likely to be evolved fictional narratives by motivated others who have a new religion to sell. Moreover, in Jewish law, Jesus' crucifixion as a criminal meant that he was literally under God's curse. And far more likely to have been thrown into an open pit of many other punished bodies and not individually hung on a cross. Yet somehow, despite all of this, the disciples suddenly and sincerely came to believe that God had raised Jesus from the dead. And yet somehow, fictional narratives written decades later have caught on and are now believed by millions. They were so completely convinced that when threatened with death, not one of them recanted. This is not something we know to be a fact. Link 5 goes to a page which lists details about the deaths of the disciples. One thing that becomes obvious during the reading is how often the word tradition is used. Traditions have sprung up around the disciples and apostles, and these traditions include shocking accounts of martyrdom, none of which can be known to be true. We're once again stuck in a situation of Christians believing ancient narratives of unknown origin because not believing them is somehow bad for their faith. If you want to be a Christian, then fine, be a Christian. But please do not lie to me or to others when trying to justify that belief. It is not a good look for a religion that allegedly thrives on honesty and integrity to stake its foundation on questionable stories and tradition. Even the Pharisee, Paul, who persecuted Christians, suddenly became a Christian himself, as did Jesus' sceptical younger brother, James. All according to tradition. Some sort of powerful, transformative experience is required to generate the sort of movement earliest Christianity was. History is full of characters who have created movements out of thin air and attracted many followers. Some of those people will have had transformative, even spiritual, experiences. There are cults in every country and people in those cults will be able to give similar testimonies. This does not, in any way, validate the foundational claims of those religions and cults. That is why, as an historian, I cannot explain the rise of early Christianity. Of course you can't. Unless Jesus rose again. 
leaving an empty tomb behind him. Maybe the whole thing is fiction and you've fallen for fraud perpetuated by people who are too embarrassed to admit they've been duped. These three firmly established facts, not facts, cry out for an adequate explanation. <laughs> How do you make sense of them? Evolved fictional narrative. Down through history, various naturalistic explanations have been offered to explain away these facts. And motivated Christians continue to jump through hoops to maintain belief in wild stories. The conspiracy hypothesis, the apparent death hypothesis, the hallucination hypothesis, and so on. Why is it that Christians always roll out these three options as naturalistic suggestions to knock down, and yet never address the more likely options? As a Christian, I only ever heard these options from the mouths of other Christians. Since I stopped believing 15 years ago, I still only hear these options from Christians. I simply do not see atheists seriously suggesting these as viable options. The options, like evolved narrative, that atheists actually think are roundly ignored by Christians. It's almost as if Christians are so blinkered by their apologetic strategies that they simply don't pay attention to what others actually say. All of these have been nearly universally rejected by contemporary scholarship. That's because nobody seriously thinks they're true. There are better options available. The simple fact is that there is just no plausible naturalistic explanation of these three facts. That is a bold-faced lie. There are options, which I've already hinted at, but Christians can't or won't face up to those options because those options reveal the Gospels as being the questionable documents that they are. The explanation given by the original eyewitnesses Original eyewitnesses? is that God raised Jesus from the dead. Only if you really do believe that the Gospel stories are actually true. Which is crazy. Who believes it? If it's even possible that God exists, then that explanation cannot be ruled out. Sure, but now you have to demonstrate God in order for that explanation to remain. Failure to demonstrate God means that your explanation will be ruled out. You can't use your explanation as evidence for your God when your explanation needs your God in order to be considered. That's circular. For a God who is able to create the entire universe, the odd resurrection would be child's play. Okay, true, I'll grant it. Now let's see if that God exists. Where's your evidence? An empty tomb, Jesus' appearances alive after his death, and a group of dejected followers suddenly transformed by a radical new belief in a risen Messiah. It all goes to make for an amazing, even compelling story. But that's all it is. A story. These are independently established historical facts. I think I'm going to need to get a fart buzzer for the next time I do one of these. They are not facts. They have not been established. We've established that. How do you explain them? Evolved fictional narrative over many years.
you have been listening to a podcast from Reason Press. Do you have any thoughts on what you've just heard? Do you have a topic that you would like us to cover? Please send all feedback to reasonpress at gmail.com. You might even appear on an episode. Our theme music was written for us by Holly. To hear more of her music, see the links in our show notes. Thank you.